today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Uh, Think of a time when something happened to you that was very painful Physically, you got something, whether you broke a bone, you slammed your finger in the car door, whatever it is, you got something when, uh, when that was going on, when you were in that, that time of just intense physical pain, how clear headed were you? How many different things could you focus on? How much time did you spend thinking about anything other than whatever it was that hurt? Not much, right? For me, I used to sprain my ankles all the time playing basketball. And we didn't know how to rehab stuff back then because I'm old. And so it just got worse and worse until your ankles just got all floppy. Am I right when I sprained so many times that the good news was it wouldn't hurt anymore because there was nothing to tear left anything in there? Bad news was it got so bad that I would sprain my ankle and there, was no, there wasn't enough elasticity left to pull my ankle back into place. So it would just dislocate and my heel would be just stuck over on the side of my leg. And that hurt like mad. The second time that ever happened, was playing basketball at Hastings College. We were lined up to, do, uh, to rebound a free throw, and I stepped on a kid's foot and bang, my ankle dislocated, and I'm there laying there on the floor. My, my teammates were very compassionate. They took one look, and they all went, oh, my gosh, oh, boy, and they all walked away. And the trainer came out, and the, if you know Matt Waitley, who's the pastor of the New Hope Church in Ogallaw, he was there that day. He can back me up on this. Uh, he remembers uh, the trainer they got me up, and if I would hop on my left leg for a while, that would be enough impact to sort of knock it back into place, which it did. And it took me to the training room, and the Hastings College trainer asked me the dumbest question I've ever been asked. He got very excited, and he said, that was a dislocated ankle. He said, did you see that? I said, why, yes, I... I just happened to notice, thank you for asking, the searing pain told me I should look down. And when I looked down and was staring at the arch of my own foot, I realized something was wrong. Thank you for checking. 
Now, if you thought of a time you were in pain like that, did you spend much time quoting poetry when you were, anybody? Did you take that time to teach other people around you valuable life lessons when, until the pain? Anybody? No, that would be ridiculous. But that's what makes what Jesus did while he was on the cross so remarkable. By the time our passage opens this morning, by the time it really gets going, Jesus has been on the cross for about six hours. He was beaten to a point of incapacitation. He was beaten almost to death before they put him on the cross for six hours. And yet from the cross, Jesus teaches From the cross, another gospel writer tells us he made sure his mama would be taken care of. From the cross, Jesus cries out very famously, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you told me a minute ago, or you at least agreed with me, When you were in a period of intense pain, you didn't quote much poetry, did you? No, it seemed like a ridiculous thing to even ask. But there's a reason I asked it. Because from the cross, Jesus quotes poetry. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani is the beginning of a thousand-year-old Hebrew poem. We read some of it last week. Psalm 22. And as we read last week, it is a description, like a prediction of the cross, but it's not that King David predicted what Jesus would just scream out in pain. That's not what's going on. You know how I know? Do you know anybody that's bilingual or are you bilingual? When you slam your hand in a car door, I don't care how many languages you know, you yell and scream in the mother tongue, right? You find out what someone's heart language is. I go kick him in the shin really hard, and you'll, you'll, you'll find out what language they actually speak. Jesus was not a native Hebrew speaker. It was a dead language, even by his day. And from the cross, he intentionally quotes a Hebrew poem. There has to be something more going on here than the screams of a man in pain. I've always found this kind of strange. It's a weird thing to to yell. He gets misunderstood as we'll see in a minute, but this was not a throwaway line. What kind of voice did Jesus yell this out in? A loud voice. By the time someone's been hanging on the cross for six hours, they're beaten to physical incapacitation. It's difficult to get enough air in one's lungs to even breathe. Most people on crosses died just of suffocation when they can't lift themselves up to even get a breath anymore. But yet he gets enough enough air in his lungs to scream this out loudly. 
You know why? Because it wasn't for him. If you've come here often, you've heard me say this. When you are reading your Bible, pay attention when God asks questions. Today, Jesus asks a biggie. And just like always, God never asks questions he doesn't already know the answer to. You know what I became convinced when I was studying this passage? You know what this passage really is? It's a big demonstrated question and answer session between God the Son and God the Father. They know the answer to this question, but God thinks maybe you don't. So in a loud voice, the Son of God cries out, Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the rest of the passage, God the Father says, I'll show you. See if we can learn the answer to the big question. Why would God the Father forsake, reject, abandon God the Son? The first part of that answer, really it's, it's more part of the question, but in verse 45 and verse 51, we learn that Jesus was forsaken by the Father because he had fallen under the judgment of God. Here's how I see that in those two, in those two verses. We read in verse 45 that by our way of telling time, between noon And three in the afternoon, darkness fell over all the land. And then later, there was an earthquake. Uh, Just a little point of clarification. I've I've heard this taught that there was a a solar eclipse during that year. And this was, anybody ever hear that this was a solar eclipse that happened while Jesus was on the cross? I want you to know that's not what happened. Here's how we know. During what holiday festival was Jesus crucified? Passover. My Sunday school class can now tell you what is the lunar phase during the Passover. It always happens during what kind of moon? A full moon. And a solar eclipse can only happen during a new moon, which is as far away from a full moon as you can get. So this wasn't a solar eclipse. Doesn't have too much uh, importance to our passage. Just want to throw that out there. What I think this was was really thick clouds, and I'll show you, I'll tell you why I think that was, but I won't fight you over it. How many of you have ever remember a storm in the summer that comes up during the afternoon and the clouds get so thick the streetlights come on? You seen that? I think that's what this was. I think it was very sudden. I think it was supernatural. And then you add an earthquake, and that lets me know this has something to do with the judgment of God. Here's why. In the Old Testament, supernatural darkness and earthquakes um, are said to precede what we call Judgment Day, the great and terrible day of the Lord. When God says that's a wrap, calls it quits on this earth and judges everyone, and and we we enter eternity, Uh, darkness and earthquakes are part of that day. Part of that period. We could go to uh, Amos. We could go to Zephaniah and read that. 
I'll show you one spot from, from the book of Joel about Judgment Day. Joel writes, it's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of what? A day of clouds and thick darkness. That's why I think that's what causes darkness, but I don't really know. Then about the same day in the same chapter, Joel says, the earthquakes and the heavens tremble, and everything gets dark, and the Lord utters his voice before his army. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? So, the first part of our answer to the big question that Jesus asks in the next verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Son of God had fallen under divine judgment. Now, that's really part of the question, though, because the question is, why? Like, yeah, we can tell as he's on the cross that something is wrong, that he's being punished. That's what crosses were for. He was either being punished by men or punished by God or both. Jesus' question is, why have you forsaken me? What have I done to deserve your judgment. I thought I was the son in whom you are well pleased. Isn't that what God said about Jesus? Was Jesus being punished for any sin that he had done? No. We know he was being punished for our sins. So first part of the answer to the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the judgment of God was being poured out. Now, before we get to the rest of the answer, we have to take a brief time out because the people around the cross misunderstand. Jesus, in between the last slide and this one, he has asked the big question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't say it in English, right? He said, Matthew gives us the Hebrew, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. They don't know the people around Jesus. They don't, they probably don't know Hebrew. Very, very few of them. Some of the priests would have. But Jesus, in the the state that he was in, maybe he couldn't enunciate very well. I don't know. But they think, they don't know that he is saying, my God, my God. They think he's calling Elijah. Um, Eli, and and Elijah would have sounded something like Eliyah. So Eli and Eliyah sound fairly similar. But that seems like a weird thing, weird mistake for people to make, right? Why would they think he's calling Elijah? Elijah's going to come save him. Doesn't that sound like a weird thing to suggest? Not as weird as you might think. In the last book of our Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God promised something else that would happen before God's judgment is poured out on this earth. And that is the prophet Elijah will show back up. He'll come. And here's all these people at the foot of the cross. And all of a sudden things get very supernaturally dark. And some of them, their tune changes very quickly. Do you remember what the people at the foot of the cross had been doing right before this? What kinds of things had they been saying toward Jesus? They'd been mocking him and berating him, right? And suddenly it gets so dark, the streetlights come on. I don't think that really happened, but you get the idea. And suddenly they start to go, oh, wait a minute. He's calling for Elijah. And this looks like judgment day. So let's get him something to drink, clear his mouth. 
And we'll see if Elijah comes and saves him, and then maybe he is the king, and maybe he will start judging folks. They don't have to wait long. Because as soon as they say, hey, let's see if Elijah will come and save him, verse 50 says, Jesus cried out the loud cry. He gave up his spirit, and he died. Now we can get back to, the, to answering the big question. And the big question is, why did the cross happen? Why did Jesus die? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father says, I'll show you. Because the very next thing that happens, immediately after Jesus gives up his spirit and dies, verse 51 says, just then the veil or the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That takes a little bit of explanation. For 1,400 years, God had given a very specific prescription for how he was to be worshipped. If you want to worship the only God there is, here's how. First, you got to come to a tabernacle, which is like a traveling temple. And later, you know, by Jesus' day, there was a, a fixed temple. And that whole temple system taught two main things. One, sin costs death and blood. And two, a holy, perfect, righteous God is unapproachable for people. God was very inaccessible to people in the temple system. Here's how I taught that. Inside the temple, the most important room was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. That was God's room. It was like God's bedroom of this house complex. God's footstool where God hung out was above the, the Ark of the Covenant. And because that was God's room and it was more holy than any place in the whole world, people couldn't go in there. No, basically, nobody could ever go in there with one exception. There was one person walking the face of the earth who on one day of the year, if he did just the right things, he could go in God's room. He was the high priest. He could take some blood on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, and he could go into God's room, sprinkle some blood on the altar for the sins of the people, and leave. And that's it. It's the only time any people could approach a holy God. He was unapproachable. Outside that room, there was another place where a few people could go from one family, just some priests. And if you get a little further away from God, a few more people from one nation could go. And if you went a little further away, a few more people. But it, it got harder and harder to get close to God. Fewer and fewer people could go. You know why? Because a holy God is unapproachable. You can't just go hang out with God because you're sinful and he's holy. Now on the cross, Jesus asked in a loud voice the big question, God, why have you forsaken me? God says, I'll show you. And he takes the temple curtain and he rips that thing from top to bottom. Notice it was from top to bottom, which means God did the tearing. 
It's not like some priest got his rhinestone caught on the curtain as he went by and it accidentally tore. God removed the barrier between a holy God and sinful people when Jesus died on the cross. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God so that people can be accepted by God. Jesus was separated from God so that people can have access to God. That's the first answer to the big question. By the way, you think in priestly circles that would have like turned some heads, that that temple curtain was torn in two suddenly? You think people noticed? I think they did. Do you know it? Three o'clock in the afternoon, there would have been priests burning incense right in front of that curtain for what's called the evening sacrifice. It wasn't the Day of Atonement. Nobody got to go in. They weren't, nobody was supposed to go in. And all of a sudden, I think it did turn some heads. I think this is why. Just a matter of a few months later in the book of Acts, Luke's t- Luke tells us this. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly, and a large group of who? A large group of priests became Christians. I think it's extremely possible. One reason a large number of priests became Christians is because some of them were there when God removed the barrier between sinful people and a holy God immediately after the Lamb of God was sacrificed for their sins. So that's the first answer. Why was Jesus forsaken? So that people like us can be accepted by God. As we move on through the passage, Matthew is the only gospel writer who, who includes this little remarkable section. He, Matthew says this is right after Jesus dies. The earth shook and the rocks were split apart. And tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection, I believe, and, and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. In those verses, we get really our next two answers to the big question of why God would forsake the Son, reject the Son. The first one of those is this. Jesus was forsaken so that people can be resurrected from the dead. I've said this many times. If you come here a lot, you've heard me say this. Death in the Bible is always a separation of two things, not the annihilation of one thing, right? Jesus experienced really two different kinds of death on the cross. His physical death. Physical death is when someone's spirit leaves their body. That happened to Jesus on the cross. He gave up his spirit. And when he did that, when his spirit left his body, he was physically dead. But before that, he experienced spiritual death. Spiritual death is when someone is separated from God. From the cross, when Jesus became the sins of the whole world. God the Son, his name was Jesus, experienced for the first time in eternity past a separation between himself and his Father. 
He was rejected. He was separated. He was forsaken by God. He was separated from God. That's spiritual death. You and I are born into that. Jesus had never experienced it. And after the cross, both of those deaths were undone. Jesus, when he gave up his spirit, today he went to paradise. And he was reunited spiritually with his father. So his spiritual death was undone. And Sunday morning, I hate to to give away the ending of the book here. But Sunday morning, Jesus' physical death will be undone. His spirit will go back into his body. His body will be made eternal, permanent. And he's alive physically once again. And eternal life is just being with the Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with no separation and in in an eternal physical body forever and ever and ever. So Jesus dies on the cross. He experiences spiritual death and physical death. And he asks the question, why has that happened? Why have you forsaken me? And God says, I'll show you. He rips the curtain in half. Now people aren't separated anymore. And then he says, watch this. And people who have been dead come back to life. Why have you forsaken me? So that people can rise from the dead. The cross of Jesus Christ is what accomplishes that. The second or the next answer to the big question, why have you forsaken me, comes from the same verses. And that's this. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that Old Testament believers can be redeemed, can be saved, can have eternal life. Every one of those people who were resurrected in this passage, they had all died before Jesus died, right? They were all, this is where you nod your head and let me know you're paying attention, a little bit, a little feedback here, be good, okay? Right? They died. So they did not believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Agreed? They believed in the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God of Israel. They believed and their faith led them to participate in those temple sacrifices. But ultimately, ultimately, the only reason anyone will be in eternal life is because the Son of God was executed on a cross under the divine, under divine judgment. Even for Old Testament folks, they are saved because the wrath their sins deserved were poured out on someone who didn't deserve any wrath from God. God never poured out his wrath on a bull or a lamb or a goat. That stuff was just to to teach, to point toward the sacrifice that, that would be effective for sins. So one answer to the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is because everyone who's ever believed before the cross, that's the only way they get new life also. Now these resurrections raise some questions. Uh, first of all, that would have been quite a day, right? Right, you're, uh, you're celebrating the Passover, 
in your house, there's a knock on the door, and you answer the door, and it's like, well, it's Uncle Ernie. I wasn't expecting him. You know why? He's been dead for three weeks. And there he is. Because that's what we're told. They were raised from the dead and, and sent back into Jerusalem to their families. Um, did, these, did these people get eternal? Um, did they get their eternal bodies here? Or were they just resuscitated and had to die again later? I have no idea. I don't know. We're not told. Were they raised just like Lazarus had been raised temporarily and they have to die again later? Could be. Uh, that's probably where I, that's probably my best guess. But I can't be for sure. We're not told. You know why? It's not the main idea. You know what the main idea is? God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's the only way people of all past generations will ever be saved. If I didn't forsake the Son of God, no one would be redeemed. Not the people before the cross. And our last answer to this question lets us know not the people after. Because our last, the final answer to why God uh, forsook, rejected the Son comes in verse 54. Now when the centurion and those other soldiers who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, when they saw the earthquake, when they saw what took place, and they saw the darkness, and they heard what he said, and they saw all of this stuff, they were extremely terrified. And they said, surely this was the Son of God. Why was the Son forsaken by the Father? So the people of all generations, in all places, of all nations, in all families, can be saved. This right here lets me know, reminds me of what I already know, that there is no one, there is no one, there is no one beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no one too lost. There is no one too far gone who cannot be saved. These guys right here just participated in the execution of Jesus. Notice it's the centurion but it's also the other ones with him. I have to assume that includes whatever soldier held the nails, whatever soldier swung the hammer, the people who literally executed Jesus a few hours, hours later are confessing their faith in him. The Son of God asks, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God says once again, I'll show you. I can take the very people who executed you and reach into their heart and change their heart and make them confess that you were the son of God a few hours after they mock you, beat you, and crucify you. You know, Israel was always supposed to be like an advertisement for God. So it was supposed to work. It never worked very well. God promised thousands of years before this, that I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth through Israel. Israel was never a very good blessing because people didn't join Israel. They had these weird food laws. Uh, they had to take Saturdays off. 
And come on, no one wants to even talk about circumcision. We'll just skip right past that. That's what it took to be a part. So they were never that great of a blessing. But God, 700 years before Jesus was crucified, he said to the Messiah or of the Messiah, I will make you a light to the nations so that you can bring my deliverance to the remote regions of the earth. And, we, and that's what God has been doing for 2,000 years. Jesus promised, I'm going to build my church. That's how God is going to bless the whole earth. The remote regions of the earth, like, I don't know, southwest Nebraska. Because Jerusalem, if that's the epicenter, it doesn't get much further away from Jerusalem than right here. How God became a light to the nations was by forsaking his son on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I promised to be a light to the nations and bless the whole earth. And the very first people, who, very first Gentiles who believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be and received salvation in his name are the very people who executed him. Gentiles. Dirty, nasty, mutt. Gentiles, just like the rest of us. And if we put all this stuff together, we have the big question and the answers. From the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when I haven't done anything wrong? And God says, I'll tell you, because you have, you have fallen under the divine judgment of God. Not for your own sins, but for theirs. Someone has to die for sin. I had to choose you or them. I chose you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because sin had to be punished and Jesus voluntarily put himself under the wrath of God. Next, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll show you. And God tears the temple curtain from top to bottom. Why have you forsaken me? Because the sacrifice of the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God is the only thing that can remove that which separates a holy God from sinful people, which is, the, which is sin that we all have. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God says, I'll show you. Watch this. And rocks break apart and tombs come open and people come back to life. Why did God forsake the Son? To, to demonstrate the only hope we have of resurrection and eternal life comes from Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And God demonstrates it. It's an object lesson that happens on the cross. And finally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's the only way Israel and past believers before the cross can be saved. And it's the only way Gentiles and all the nations at the end of the earth will be saved. And we see that from the Jews who went home alive again and those Roman soldiers who had executed them. After this right now, this morning, can you answer this question? Why did God execute Jesus? You know what some people think? They think it's cosmic child abuse. That's not my term. I'll never believe in a God that would do something that terrible to somebody he called his own son. 
Why on earth would God kill his own son? Because it was the only way to remove our sin, what that separates us from him, pave the way for our resurrection, ours and everyone who will believe to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for that passage. Thank you for what has been there in front of us our whole lives for 2,000 years. Right here in this text, you, you had your son ask the big question, why would the God of the universe forsake, reject, and kill the son in whom he was well pleased. And you, you showed us, you told us the answer to remove that which separates us from you, to pave the way for our resurrection and our eternal life and all those who have ever lived of any generation in any area. God, uh, maybe there's somebody here who has never understood why you would kill your own son until right now this morning. I pray and I ask that you would work in their hearts to just be overcome with the understanding and the belief that the only hope any of us have to withstand the judgment of God is to believe on the son whom he crucified. We pray that in his precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and finish.